Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community, and this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, December 19th, 2021, from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 2. Over the, these few weeks of Advent, we've been talking about Christmas ornaments, and not like ornaments you hang on the tree or put on the mantle, but the original meaning of the word ornament, an ornament is an accessory. It's like a thing that goes with another thing. It's like equipment. It's like for use or adornment. We're talking about the trappings and the trinkets of the first Christmas to see what we could learn about Jesus and why he came. Uh, We've talked about the swaddling clothes. We've talked about the stable. We've talked about the manger. And today we're going to talk about the star of Bethlehem. Um, I was thinking about this this week, and I realized, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but back when Potsy used to uh, decorate his house for Christmas, the only decoration he would have was the Star of Bethlehem up on the chimney. That was it. There was no lights otherwise, no garland, no like blow up Yukon Cornelius in the front yard or anything like that. It was just the Star of Bethlehem. That was it. It was like you're driving down New York Avenue or up and it was like, there it is, the sweet little Star of Bethlehem. I don't know how he got up there and how he strung that thing up, how he powered it and the whole thing. But I don't know when you stopped doing that either. But I miss it, the sweet little Star of Bethlehem on New York Avenue. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. This is from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, Duh. For this is what the prophet has written. That's in the Greek. Um, This is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. I feel exactly what Nino was saying after that very first song. I feel so full. I was listening in that very first song, people in this room singing about the peace that you usher in because you came at Christmas. And I just felt my heart flooded with it. I'm so thankful to be in a room with my brothers and sisters in Christ as we get to sing and to worship you. Um, I'm praying that as we go through this time that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Don't let us be defensive. Let us be receivers because you know stuff we don't and you have stuff to say to us. So help us to have a heart that is open and ready to receive. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, the Star of Bethlehem. And the wise men, there's a, there's a whole lot of, I feel like just to get our head around this, there's a whole lot of like, what was it, what wasn't it, 
who were they and who weren't they that we need to kind of parse out first. I grew up, like most of you guys, singing the old Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, Bearing Gifts We Traverse Afar, Field of Fountain, you know, Moor and Mountain, Following Yonder Star. Oh, you know, that whole thing. And like, how long are you going to hold that out? And, um, and the thing is, is they weren't kings. Um, there weren't three of them. I mean, there were at least three of them. There were probably a lot of them. Apparently, as we just read, there were enough of these dudes that the whole city of Jerusalem was disturbed by their presence. They were impressive guys, they were foreign guys, they were different, they were other, and there were a bunch of them. And all of Jerusalem was like, what is going on? That's who these guys were. They were actually, the the word in Matthew 2 is magi, they were astrologers. That's different from astronomers. Astrologers were people who, kind of in a quasi-religious way, would study the movements of stars, believing that you could look at the movements of stars and learn things about human destiny. It's kind of like, you know, the, uh, like your horoscope, but like, you know, souped up. Like they would study the stars and tell you what was going to happen and all that kind of stuff. And so they had seen something in the sky that made them realize the king of the world has been born in Judea. Let's go check it out. So that's who those guys were and who they weren't. What about the star? The star, first of all, it's kind of one of those things that doesn't really belong in your nativity set. When you look at a nativity set, there's always a star like pinned onto the top of the stable. It wasn't really there that night. That's not really what that whole thing was. The angels did not appear to the shepherds on the night of Jesus's birth and say, if you want to find him, just follow that big honking star right there. It'll point the way. That's not what they said. What they actually said was, Go down into the city of David and you'll see a baby wrapped in cloths and laying where it should not, where you should never put a baby, which is in an animal food trough. That will be the sign unto you. They don't ever, they don't mention the star with the shepherds. This star, maybe not even a star, what most astronomers um, tell us, which by the way, like the movements, like the orbital pathways of the stars are so perfectly regular that people can study those movements and then trace them back through time. And astronomers tell us that about the time that Jesus was born, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the constellation Pisces, which a conjunction is where like two planets seem to line up in their orbital pathway, which would increase the brightness of what looked like a star to them. But these dudes knew, knew that this was like, this is like a big honking deal, okay? And from their perspective, where they were in the east, Jupiter and Saturn lining up in the constellation Pisces, and that told them everything they needed to know. The king of the world has been born in Judea. Let's get some presents and let's go find him. So they go on this trip. However long it took them to make this trip, and they went to the capital city. They go to the capital city and they ask the king, okay, we know based on this conjunction in the heavenly bodies, that the king of the world has been born in Judea. So are, are you guys still partying? Like, is that like, wh- where is he? Is he, is he sitting on the throne? What's the deal? And everybody's like, uh, no, he's not, he's not here. And they're like, well, where is he? And they're like, Herod's like, I don't know. So he's like, hey, guys that have the Bible, um, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And so they, he asked the guys that, the guys that know and have and supposedly love the Bible. And they're like, oh yeah, it's, in, it's over there in Micah chapter five. He's, he's down the road. It's like a 10K away. You can just roll down there right now. So they like tie up the running shoes. They head down there. 
And then they, and it says like, and by the way, this was like not Christmas night. So, you know, when your nativity has the three kings, there weren't three of them, they weren't kings, and they weren't there. Um, this was like much, much later. It's so much later that Herod tells these guys, you know, tell me when the star appeared, when you first saw it and noticed it, because I too would like to go worship. And when he said worship, he mispronounced murder the baby. And so he just, when, when he finds out that he had been tricked, he has, he sends out a decree that all of the baby boys in Bethlehem that were two years old and younger would be killed. So it could have been as much as two years after the first Christmas that these guys showed up in Jerusalem looking for the king of the world. It also says that when they showed up in Bethlehem, they went to the house, that Mary and the baby were there at the house. I don't know, Joseph was off at Aldi or something like that, but like they were there, they had apparently settled down, Joseph had some clients or whatever, and they give them these gifts. And I'm guessing this is the first, you know, they have the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and I'm guessing this is the first time in history that someone looked at a kid and said, just so we're clear, this is, for, this is a Christmas and a birthday present, okay? So don't expect two, you know? And so that's the first time that ever happened. But they give him the presents, they get warned in a dream, you need to go home by a different route, and so they did. So we don't know exactly, I mean, the whole thing about Jupiter and Saturn, maybe it was a conjunction. We don't know exactly when it showed up for them. We don't know how long these guys took to get here. There's a lot of stuff about this story we don't know. There is one thing we absolutely know crystal clear, and that's the purpose of the Star of Bethlehem. Here it is. The purpose of the Star of Bethlehem was to alert and attract outsiders to Jesus. That was the point of the Star of Bethlehem. It was to alert and attract outsiders, foreigners, people that were not God's people, to let them know God has given a gift, not just to his insiders, but to everybody and to y'all. And in fact, I'm inviting you. In fact, God not only wanted them there, he wanted them there so badly that when he flung the stars into the universe at the beginning of creation and set up by physics and gravity and the whole thing, their orbital patterns, that he set it up in such a way that he made sure that the invitation to save the date was going to get to these outsiders all those years later whenever Jesus was born. That's how important it was for him that the outsider get invited to the birth of the king of the world. The star of Bethlehem was not for the insiders. They had the book. The insiders, supposedly, they have and they know and they supposedly love the Bible. They've got a whole set of scriptures full of all kinds of prophecies, everything about who the Messiah was going to be, what family he was going to belong to, what he was going to do, when he was going to come, where he would be born. All this stuff laid out for hundreds and hundreds of years so that they would know and yet when he came, the people that have and know and supposedly love the book, the insiders, not only are they not attracting anybody to Jesus, they didn't even bother to go find him them themselves. And that's a very weird thing. It reminds me of this place in the book of John in chapter 5. At the very end of John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to some guys that he's having a little argument with and, um, and they're doubting his authority to say and do the things that he's saying and doing. And he says, you know what? You guys diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you're going to find eternal life. 
but these are the very scriptures that testify about me. And you won't come to me and find life. What does it mean when the people who have and know and supposedly love the book not only are not attracting people to Jesus, but they don't even bother to hang out with him themselves? That's not a good situation. The Star of Bethlehem was for outsiders, to alert and attract outsiders to Jesus. You might think like, well, why outsiders? I mean, why was God so concerned that outsiders come and find Jesus? Isn't, isn't Jesus for God's people? I mean, Jesus came through God's people. This is, he's, all the promises were given to God's people in the book. Like, isn't this for God's people? Why all this concern and all this, all this energy and effort put in for outsiders? And the thing is, God loves them. He loves outsiders. He loves foreigners. He loves people that are marginalized. He loves people that are suffering. He loves the oppressed and the poor. And he wanted to make sure that they got the invitation. Amen? Amen. God loves them. In, in fact, in some of the prophecies, like in Isaiah chapter 9, that famous prophecy that we always quote at Christmas where we say, you know, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that whole thing. At the very beginning of that chapter, the Lord says, you know what? Galilee of the Gentiles, of the nations, of the outsider, you are going to be honored because I'm going to send him through your little hometown. That's where he's going to grow up. Galilee of the outsiders. I'm going to honor you guys. Later in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 49, the Lord says this really interesting thing to the Messiah. God talking, God the Father talking to God the Son in Isaiah chapter 49 says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore just the tribes of Jacob to those in Israel that I have kept. No, I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles, for the outsider, so that you can carry my salvation to the ends of the earth. In other words, it's too little for you to just come for the insiders, the ones that have and know and supposedly love the book. I want everybody. I want them all. And when you think about Jesus, when he showed up, that's what he was like. Not only, not only does he love the outsider and the foreigner, not only does he want them, Jesus himself knows what it feels like to be one. I mean, right after this story that we read, Joseph has a dream where the angel shows back up and says, Hey, pal, I'm back. You need to leave. Herod wants to kill the child. You need to go to Egypt. And so the toddler Jesus was an immigrant, a refugee, running away for his life. Yes, the toddler Jesus was a refugee, learning a brand new language as a little, little boy, learning how to eat new food he'd never eaten before and wear different clothes and learn new games and learn new names and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that fascinating to think about the little boy Jesus, learning a different language and new games and new friends in a totally different country as a little, little boy? And at some point, he came back to Israel, but he knows what it feels like to be an outsider. And when you think about Jesus and all the stories that you've grown up hearing, maybe if you grew up in church, all the beautiful stories about Jesus throughout the Gospels that we read and retell and celebrate, how many of them were for the outsider? Think about that time when he healed the servant of the Roman centurion. And he said, I've never seen a faith like this anywhere in Israel, by the way. This is an outsider. Or when he, when he uh, healed the, the, the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman. She was a Canaanite. Or the time that he 
made food for 4,000 people out of seven little loaves of bread. And you're like, I thought it was the feeding of the 5,000. There was that. But then there was the feeding of the 4,000. And that wasn't for the insider. That was the outsider. That was out in the garrisons, in the Decapolis, in the 10 cities. The time he kicked a demon out of a guy from the garrisons, the Gadarene demoniac. These were all outsiders. Jesus loved them. The very first time he ever told anybody he was the Messiah. First of all, to a woman. Second of all, a woman of a hated race that his people wouldn't go anywhere near. But John 4 said he had to go through Samaria because he loved her. And not only was she the first person to hear from his own lips that he was the Messiah, he made her the first missionary of the Messiah who went back into her town and told all kinds of people about him. And then they went to hang out with him. Unbelievable. He loves outsiders. He loves the mistreated and the marginalized. And in Hebrews chapter 13, it says we're supposed to be the same way. He said, You're supposed to, you should remember prisoners as if you yourself were in prison. And you should remember those who are mistreated as though you yourself are suffering. And when you think about Oak Ridge and Knoxville right now, who is the marginalized? Think about that. Who's the outsider? Who doesn't have this? Who needs a star of Bethlehem to alert them and attract them to the good news that a Savior has come for them? Who is it that's on the outskirts? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The Lord said, I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. I want everybody. I want them all. And Jesus not only said, I am the light of the world. He also said, you are the light of the world. I am the light of the world. That's our job. We're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to be like the star of Bethlehem, alerting people and attracting the outsider to the presence of Jesus. And here's my question. Is that what Christians are known for right now? Are we known for being the light for the outsider to alert and attract them to the good news that a savior has come. If you ask most people in this country, all right, real quick, don't think about it. I'm just get, like, I was driving by this billboard one time and it said, quick, name a soft drink. And I was like, Coke. And I was like, oh, that was good. You got me. That was some pretty, that's some pretty deep advertising. Like that little marketing campaign worked. I mean, nobody, if it, they're like, quick, name a soft drink. Nobody was like, diet Fanta, you know? <laughs> nobody. It worked. Quick, without thinking about it. Christian, what do you think? Uh-oh. I mean, for a lot of people, it'd be like, oh, that's the people that, that want their country back and are fighting for their rights all the time and screaming at everybody. That's weird, y'all. That's weird. You want to know why that's weird? We don't have a home here. You might be a citizen of the United States of America and thank God for it. We have a lot of privileges and this place is awesome. And I am so thankful for those who have fought for it and so that we have all the beautiful, wonderful privileges we have for it, of it, about it, from it, everything, all the prepositions. I'm falling apart. But here's the deal. That may be wonderful and I'm super thankful for it, but this is not my home. And if you have believed in Jesus, it is not yours either. It's not yours. And as for being known for fighting for our rights or whatever, what rights? A very important scripture for everybody that believes in Jesus is the one that says, what do you have that you were not given? We have been bought with a price, y'all. We stand on the work of another. 
on the vicarious substitutionary death of another, by the way. The most appropriate attribute for a human being who has come to know Christ, humility. We shouldn't argue about anything. Amen? We should not be known as fighters and arguers. We should not be known as the people that are fighting over this place. If a Christian sings the song, this land is your land, the lyrics should go like this. This land is your land, it is not my land. From California to the New York Island. Heaven is my true home. I don't want to go there alone. So I love you. How can I serve you? And can I please tell you about Jesus when you're good and ready? Amen. The end. <laughs> that should be our version of that song. Because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and you are the light of the world. You should be like a star of Bethlehem. There's this place in, uh, in Philippians chapter two where the apostle Paul says, you want to know how to be a star that shines in the universe? I'll tell you. He says, it's real simple. It's Philippians chapter two, verse 14. He says, do not argue or complain about anything so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. Stars are really interesting. I've been thinking about them all week. Stars, from our vantage point, they, they look really small. I mean, they look like absolutely tiny and they actually look kind of cute. Like when little kids draw stars, they're adorable. When you get uh, like a, a sugar cookie at Christmas and it's shaped like a star and it has like the rounded edges, you're like, oh, that's adorable. Stars are adorable. They're tiny and they're adorable. They're not. They're terrifying. Stars are gigantic oceans of nuclear explosions that happen to be tied up by gravity. They're like, I mean, just vast balls of explosive raw force, energy, and power. They look cute and adorable. They're not. They're big time bad news. Don't get near one. It will change your life. Paul says, if you as a human being don't argue and fight about stuff, you're like a star. People think that's cute. Like, oh, that person, they don't argue or fight about anything. That's adorable. That's cute. It'll make a cute sugar cookie. It's not small and it's not cute. It's powerful. You find a human being who has learned a couple things. I don't belong here. This is not my home. And I'm not fighting over anything because I stand on the work and the merit of another. So my prime attribute is humility. And my stance toward you is I have come to know someone who loves you desperately. So I love you too. You find somebody like that. It looks cute. It looks like a small thing. It's not. We're supposed to be like the star of Bethlehem, not arguing over anything. We don't belong here. We don't argue or fight over anything. I just love you. We live like that. We are going to alert and attract outsiders to the fact that a king has come. Amen? I know this is true. And if you will permit me, I am now going to enter my feelings. I know this is true because uh, it attracted me. I was 17 years old when I met Potts. And I'm gonna get in my feelings for a minute because he's retiring. And he didn't tell me, I found out at an elders meeting and I spent the rest of the meeting um, catatonic. And the other guys can tell you um, because I was a part of what I like to call the new outsiders. The new outsiders to our faith, by the way, 
And somebody give me an amen if this is you. The new outsiders to our faith are the old insiders who have become absolutely disillusioned by what Christian means. I was one of those. I had become absolutely disillusioned about what it means to be a Christian. I was part of the new outsiders. I was 17 years old when I got invited on off-campus lunch one day to go to some guy's house to eat lunch. And I was like, who is he? And they were like, don't worry, it's free. And I was like, okay. I didn't have any money. So we drive up New York Avenue and park outside 100 Nolan, and I go into Potsy's A House, which is about the size of this stage. And there were tables set up with white tablecloths. And a guy I never met served me spaghetti like I was at Regus. White tablecloths. I was 17. And the first thing I did was spill a ton of the tomato sauce all over the white tablecloth, which in my house would have been the end of the week. And so I was petrified. I'm like, I've never met this man. I'm in his home. I've, I have spilled stuff on the Regus tablecloth. And there he walks up, and I was like, I'm so sorry. And he laughed at me, that beautiful laugh. And he cleaned it up, and he left, and he said, this doesn't matter. I don't care about this. I got to know him, and I started playing on the worship team at, at this church when it was meeting at Pollard, and we started having worship practice in that same little A house about the size of this stage. And um, I was hanging out with him after practice one day, and I had my guitar case leaning up against uh, Potsy's Mafia car. And some of you remember that he used to have this black Mercedes that his brother gave him, like he was in the mob. <laughs> in Chicago. It was, the, it was the most cognitive dissonance ever to see Potsy driving that black Mercedes. Just big Merc Potsy driving around in that thing. I had my guitar case leaning up against it and, um, and there's these like uh, metal buttons on the bottom of it and it was precarious and it shifted and it just tilted down and just keyed the whole side of his black Mercedes. And at that point in my house, I would have been murdered. <laughs> Just a greasy spot on the ground. And so I think all of the blood left my face. And I was like, I'm so sorry, I have no money. I don't know what to say. And he started laughing that laugh. And he said, and I'll never forget it. He pointed at his, at his car and he said, this is a tool. He said, you are what matters. He changed my life. He didn't care about his car. What does he care about a car? He doesn't belong here. He doesn't care about things. It looks small. It looks cute. It's not. It was powerful. And over a thousand stories, the star of Bethlehem alerted and attracted me to the life of Jesus that lived under that star. You changed my life. And I think so many of us who have known Potsy could say, amen, me too. And I have my stories. And it's because something that looks small and cute is not. It's huge. It's an ocean of raw power. Tied up by gravity, it'll suck you in and change your life. And that's what he did. And that's our job. To be like little stars of Bethlehem to love people, to love the outsider. You know, the most often uh, occurring command in all of the Old Testament is to love the Lord your God. No, no, big, no big surprise there, duh. 
The second most repeated command in the Old Testament, love the foreigner. And it's not one of those love the foreigner like when you're at Thanksgiving as a little kid and your parents are like, dude, tell Aunt Mildred that you love her. And you're like, I love you, Aunt Mildred. Thanks for the Ninja Turtle socks. It's not that person that you don't really like and you're like, well, I love them in the Lord. When the Old Testament says love the foreigner, it actually says love them like you love your own children. Love them like you love yourself. <laughs> That's his heart. That's why the star of Bethlehem appeared, is to alert and attract the outsider, because God wants them all. Amen? He loves them all. The oppressed, the poor, the marginalized, the mistreated, the outsider, the alien. And I am a witness that when somebody realizes I don't belong here and I don't care about any of this world's stuff, but I love you, it works. It lets you know there's a king under that light. And I want to know him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. That you love us enough to invite us to your birthday. Enough to give us the good news. And we got outsiders in this town. And you love them. And you want them to know you. I'm asking that you would give us a spark that catches fire into a gigantic love for folks who need to know you. Thank you for, thank you for the folks that have come into our lives, like Patsy came into mine at just the right time and just undefensively loved us, just absolutely cared about us. I think about the joy that I got to know when I knew him. I love that laugh that he has that starts out with a wheeze. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to try to make him do it every day. I'm so grateful for joy. I'm so thankful for love. I'm thankful that these are the things that exist in your good news, in your kingdom, in your beautiful country that you're inviting us all into. Make us emissaries of that new world. Give us a heart to love our true home, to be thankful for the one we're staying in for a little while, and to alert and attract everybody to the presence of our sweet King. To your name we pray. Amen. Son of God, Son of Man, Christ is born in Come now, long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel, strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every
Born in Bethlehem. 